Welcome aboard and buckle up. You're now listening to Shift Happens with Jim Milloway. Now, let's dive in, go deep, share ideas, and take a good look at what we, in the benefits industry, can do to accelerate the shift to the member-first economy. And now, live from Zero Studios, your host, the more infamous than famous, Jim Milloway. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Shift Happens with Jim Milloway. This is an in-depth look at what we in the benefits industry can do to accelerate the shift to the member-first economy, right? It's an evolved mindset that uses modern approaches, customer delight, data analytics, and the best possible experience to shift this industry where it needs to be. My name's Jim Milloway. I'm CEO at Zero, and I'll be your host today. I'm really, really excited about our special guest, who's someone I consider a friend that I've gotten to know over the course of the pandemic. And I tell you, it ain't bad making virtual primary care friends in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, our special guest is the chief commercial officer at 98.6, Jay Burrell, right? 98.6 believes in the critical importance of primary care and its role in improving the quality of life for individuals, communities, and the world. Uh, and they've really reimagined this entire primary care experience. Welcome, Jay. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks, Jim. Good. I would love it for myself and for the listeners. Tell us a little bit about you. Yeah. Um, so my background, I'm pretty much a technologist. Uh, most of my career was spent uh, at leading um, you know, divisions of Microsoft, uh, IBM. Most recently, uh, before joining 98.6, I was... Um, the chief technology officer for uh, the digital division of GE Healthcare. So uh, mostly in technology and, and it was really kind of what attracted me to come to 98.6. And, you know, I can tell in our previous conversations, you're having a lot of fun there. Are you, are, are you just having the time of your life at 98.6? Well, um, like you started at the beginning, it's a good time to be uh, in this business. Um, you know, certainly uh, the the driving forces are suboptimal. Um, but, um, you know, I think anytime you're in a business that's growing exponentially, um, it, it is a lot of fun. You know, speaking of, you know, the circumstances we, we, we find ourselves in, right, everywhere in the world and certainly here in the U.S. as we're dealing with COVID, uh, you know, there's light at the end of the tunnel, right? I think with vaccines, as I told you, I'm super excited. I get my first dose of the vaccine tomorrow and I've never been more excited to go to the doctor in my life. Uh, what did COVID teach us, right, about telehealth and what did COVID teach us about primary care in general? Yeah, well, I mean, so let's start with primary care. I, you know, I think the, just really as a summary, what I would say is it exposed a lot of the gaps in, in the whole in the whole system, right? So um, not only the infrastructure, uh, the physical infrastructure, which is obvious. I mean, when you close down uh, brick and mortar facilities, that's a problem. But I, I think it actually uh, really exposed some gaps in the business model of, of primary care. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, um, you know, if you look at whether it's regulatory or or just company policy as an employer, um, you know, when when COVID hit, some of the biggest um, challenges we faced were not on the platform or technology at all, but it's things like you know companies coming to us and saying, "Look, we have fifty five thousand uh, employees that are not eligible for benefits, um, and we're in a pandemic, and we feel just lousy uh, about not having, you know, any sort of." Um, option for, for a big chunk of, of, of their employees. And so, you know, we had to respond pretty quickly. 
um, and, and enabling, uh, enabling those employees to get questions answered, feeling like they have access. But, I, you know, I think overall, it just really kind of exposed a lot of the vulnerabilities in, in, the, whole, in the whole model and system. Yeah, when you, um, you know, at, for tele. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Jim. I was going to say. No, no, I think for tele. <laughs> all right, I'm going to stop this time. This is all you, and then I'll ask my question. <laughs> No, I think for I think for telehealth, it uh, beyond just primary care for telehealth, it it exposed you know some model weaknesses, right? And do you have the technology that will scale? Do you have a business model that will scale? Um, and so a lot of similar issues on telehealth, um, and and I think it it really challenged the legacy um, you know per- perception, the legacy model in telehealth in general. Yeah, what do you? I mean, what was the biggest? I mean, what was the fundamental flaw in that legacy telehealth? Why couldn't they scale effectively? Well, it's, uh, you know, I would to say it's a flaw. Um, I think, you know, who's going to really be prepared for a, a global pandemic and, and that kind of spike. Fair. But but I think I think what it did, what it did do is it showed, you know, how are you going to evolve and how prepared you evolve for this new, um, you know, the new paradigm that's coming. And you know, I, I think there were a couple things. One. Um, you know, we pride ourselves at 98.6 on the notion of being on demand, right? So you don't need appointments. Um, you open the app and you and you begin immediately um, your sessions with with our our platform and our system and our doctors. What what really kind of showed in the legacy system is you know, look, um, prior to the pandemic, um, you know, utilization rates were uh, in the legacy models were around one percent, um, and overall as a population. I think I just looked at a, um, a report from one of the big consulting firms uh, on telehealth as a category. And, you know, prior to the pandemic, 11% of the population um, had interacted with, you know, legacy telehealth. You know, right now it's 46% um, have, have, have done that. And the most important um, element takeaway for me was that 80% of, of the people who have engaged with telehealth this year can plan to continue to use it as a primary mechanism for healthcare. So I think, you know, what it, what it just really did is exposed, you know, that notion of um, can I have access when I need it? Can I have access where I need it? And then the business model around, um, you know, still telehealth has that trade-off, right? I mean, legacy systems traditionally will charge you $50 for a visit. Um, and for an enormous chunk of the world's population, um, they have to think long and hard about spending $50. Um, is it worth going to see a doctor uh, for $50? And, and I think, you know, in COVID, it, it showed a lot of people um, just were, re, you know, really reluctant to spend that money, even during a pandemic, uh, because they didn't have it. Yeah, no, that's fair. When you, so certainly, I think the story about the employer, right, that says, I've got 55,000 part-timers and you do something too. So you certainly see that, that, that employer demand within your existing business. I mean, how much did you see the demand from end users really pick up? I mean, was it just astronomical throughout the pandemic? Yeah, and it, it was. I mean, r- right at the beginning, kind of the April timeframe, um, it, 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 we, we saw spikes that, um, you know, our average wait times were single digit minutes um, and they went up. I mean, even our, even our platform went into the hours um, where, you know, I know some of the, some of the legacy systems, um, were, were 24 to 48 hour wait times. I mean, we, we, even for our model going into double digit wait times was, was a big deal for us, but we saw, you know, exponential spikes in, in utilization. Yeah. 
Hey, we've got a question here uh, from, uh, from one of the attendees. So David Williams says, Jay, I love the data points on the percentage of people engaging with telehealth then, during, and now. He said, do you recall the source of that data? He'd, he'd like to take a look at it. Uh, yeah, that actually was, um, was a McKinsey study. Okay, the McKinsey um, study. Yeah, I, I, can, I can get the specifics on that and, and follow up on, on, uh, on the issue date, but I knew it was from McKinsey. Perfect. Thank you. And David, thank you for the question. Okay. So I got, I got another question for you, Jason. We talked about, we talked about a little bit about your background, right? So coming from the tech side of things, and, and this is probably a question you get fairly often is 98.6 a technology company or is 98.6 a primary care clinic? Well, uh, you know, I don't know. If this, uh, certainly in our roadmap, I don't think you can separate the two. Um, and so, you know, we have we have uh, our doctors are all full time doctors, um, and and so we have a robust um, team of full time doctors that um, you know are FTEs to our company. So certainly, we are a primary care provider, and and a large one, right? We have millions millions of patients on our platform, um, and we'll add tens of millions of patients this year. So we are a very large primary care um, company. However. Um, I think in order for us to fulfill our mission, and our mission is really around um, no one should have to choose, uh, you know, make a financial trade-off to seek a help for primary care. In order for us to, to achieve that mission, we have to drive cost out of the system. And so our use of machine learning and, and AI um, is critical in driving, um, in, in driving cost out. Uh, in addition, um, and one of the things that I, I think is our, one of our bigger differentiators is our ability to integrate with legacy systems, whether they're employer systems, whether they're health plan systems, whether they're other services. So, um, you know, you can't take the, the importance of technology away from the value prop that, that we have in order to, if you're ever going to make primary care affordable. You know, so I, I think you bring up a good point, and this, is, this has always been an interesting part of your model for me, right? So the fact that all these physicians are full-time employees, right? So whether the employer purchaser or the broker advisor realizes that a lot of legacy systems, right, and, it, it, and it's just the way it is, right? It's not necessarily right or wrong, have relied on contractual relationships with physicians who likely run, you know, brick and mortar clinics, you know, for their day jobs. When they're employees, right, it's not just this network of contracted physicians. Like, tell us how meaningful it is in terms of delivery, right, that you're really running this like a giant clinic. I mean, it is, yeah. it is a clinic, right? It, it, well, it absolutely is. And, and look, I think it's, again, a, a big piece of what, you know, let me kind of give you, a, a, as you know, um, our, we believe very strongly in the capitated model, right? So um, our, our PMPM, we, we have utilization-based model. And so, you know, we start off at, I don't know, is it 45 cents PMPM, right? And so, uh, and there's no visit fees, there's no claim fees, that's it. Uh, so in order to keep prices uh, and the cost of healthcare low, you have to do a couple things when we talked about technology, but that notion of a full-time employee as a doctor um, is important because they need to interact with this technology and become efficient at it. So as we see doctors, we bring on new doctors every day. Um, we bring out a new doctor onto the platform. Their productivity in the first month is pretty low. Um, but as they get used to the console and used to interfacing with machine learning and, and, and all of our analytics and, and data, they become much more efficient, which of course allows us to keep our, our costs and prices very low for the patient. 
So it is a big deal, not just from a quality of uh, of healthcare and delivering primary care, but also from an efficiency in the business model. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah. So I, I think back to your point, right? Like, there's no way you can separate the technology company, right, from the actual primary care clinic. Yeah. Not if you're going to be efficient and, and keep you know keep the cost to a minimum. Yeah. Okay. We got a couple of questions. They're they're really coming. Uh, they're coming in here. So any ballpark idea of what percentage of telehealth engage, engagements result in a recommendation to get face-to-face visits? Right. Yeah. Um, so that really varies, but I think, you know, generally we would say, you know, we can, we can treat uh, over 80% of the people who come in don't, nec- don't need, um, you know, for, we can treat them completely. Um, and whether that's orders or labs or whatever the, the follow-up from that is. Um, what we're seeing more and more as we integrate and we bring on new partners, for example, health systems, it's important for health systems um, as, as we partner with them to be able to use us as, you know, the first stop of primary care, but then for referrals um, that, that, you know, stays within the network. And so, um, you know, we, we pride ourselves on resolving over 80% of, of what we need to without, um, you know, follow on, but certainly that referral component is very, very important to our partners and customers. Gotcha. Okay. We got another question from Bob. Uh, so Bob says, how do you manage things like diabetes and COPD, especially with the complexity of blood work or breathing tests or things like that? Yeah. Uh, so that's a great question. Um, and, and it's, and it's not just related, it's not just um, isolated to those uh, conditions, obviously a big piece of what we're trying to do um, and, and you'll see in the next, you know, n- number of days or weeks, some pretty big announcements um, that we're going to be integrating with diagnostic companies, that we're integrating with chronic care companies. Um, and, and that's a big piece of our differentiation on the technology platform is that ability to integrate, right? We're not, we're not a standalone um, legacy environment that was built to stand alone. We were built to integrate. Um, and so, you know, I think... I think as we as we look to you know chronic care, behavioral health, um, and and you know wearables and monitoring, our ability to integrate with the legacy environments that handle that specialty care is really critical. Gotcha. Okay, a couple more questions. They they, they keep coming in for us, uh, right? So, and you and I have talked about this, and so I think when we answer this, talk about how important on demand really is and what the user expects. But the question is, do I get the same physician each time? Or am I going to see someone different every time? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's part of our belief that the relationship is being established with with the company with ninety eight point six, not the doctor. And and the reason that's important is you know if there is uh, a need to see the same physician uh, again, we have that ability. Um, but in general, you know, in in virtually all of the cases, um, in order to be on demand, you don't have the ability to go back and schedule that appointment with that physician. So. Um, the important thing, however, is all of the notes um, and everything, every single word uh, that um, that's exchanged between the patient and the physician, and including the leading up and gathering of data, is saved in that record. So it's not like you come in and have to start all over again. Um, as soon as you log back into the platform, all of that data is in front of the physician again. Perfect. So here, here's a here's a more technical question uh, from one of the uh, listeners. So we, I know on some company chat services, a rep might be handling several chats at once. Do the docs have simultaneous chats going on? Because I want 100% of my docs attention, they ask. Yeah. 
Um, when they're with the patient, it's a hundred percent. It's the it's the moment leading up to um, that element where we're doing data collection with the bot. Um, obviously, the doctor is doing other things, right? So um, they can have a couple sessions that are simultaneously going. It's not a hundred, um, uh, but it's they they can have a couple of sessions going. But when they're engaged with the patient, it's a hundred percent engaged with the patient. Gotcha. That's a great question. Okay. And then one, we got another question from Linda Mitchell, right? And Linda's putting us both on the spot here. And so I'll take the first shot at this one, Jay. Uh, what's the relationship between zero and 98.6? So Linda, great question. So I started learning, you know, was introduced to Jay some time ago in the pandemic. When we're, so on one hand, right, the purpose of, of, of this podcast, right, is, is to highlight people like Jay. Like, who are the innovators that we see in the marketplace driving this shift right to the member first economy right so focused on cost quality and i think certainly convenience in 98.6 is a great example of that so even if we didn't have a formal relationship with 98.6 right i still be having this conversation with jay uh we've not made any public announcement and it's not anything big we we are working with a handful of employers uh in one geographic market uh we're getting ready to do a rollout with 98.6 because we're anxious to see what we can learn, right? So we know our end users, so our plan members want this perfect combo of cost, quality, and convenience. And so what does it mean for the plan member, right? If they can look to zero in relationships that we might have with a 98.6 to get even more care. And what does that mean? And Jay touched a little bit on it about the integration piece. We're excited because when people need care outside of that app, right? Outside of that virtual experience, we're able to close that loop with the team at zero to make sure people are getting to the right place for that CT scan or specialty visit. Uh, here's another good question. Uh, my doc says she needs to see me when I'm seeing her for my depression. Can a psychological problem be cared for over a text experience? Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, um, <laughs> that's becoming uh, one of the, one of the other, um, unfortunate um, components of this pandemic is, is on behavioral health. And so um, all of our doctors, we, we believe very strongly that primary care is a foundation for your healthcare journey um, in, in a multiple different facets. And so, um, you know, behavioral health is an area that, um, you know, we will, we're, we're looking into um, very seriously. And, and I think we'll, you know, uh, in, in the near term have, have some um, developments and announcements on that. Right now, though, a large a large percentage of our doctors um, are are um, you know counseling patients as they come in, uh, and so when when we have patients uh, open uh, open the app and get in, um, behavioral health is absolutely something our physicians engage in right now, um, and you know we believe very strongly that um, particularly for for things like coaching, uh, text is. Not only uh, not only works, but it's a preferred method. And and we have one uh, I have one story that that I thought was relevant even even for me uh, is we had one uh, male patient come in and say, you know what, I would never have these kind of conversations with my doctor in a brick and mortar setting face to face. I'm just not comfortable having it. But over text, it's just so much easier for me to be honest and forthright. Um, and so I think you know I think there's a lot of value in that modality. No, I think so. So we had a funny story this week, right? So my wife goes in to see the doc. She thought she was just going to talk to him about some things, right? And they said, here, go ahead and take your clothes off and put this gown on, right? 
right? And she's like, oh, okay. So she's putting the gown on. Here comes, here, the doc comes in the room. She hasn't met this doc before. And as they're chatting, he said, oh, you know, as he's looking at my wife, partially disrobed, says, hey, what a small world. Our kids have the same second grade teacher, right? You, you know, so a lot of those things. So my wife's texting her friends, like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do now, uh, right? So, so I can see how that texting thing, but you mentioned, right? So 2020 and 2021, right? From a numbers perspective are probably far larger than you guys ever expected to see, right? So you're seeing this acceleration of the business model. You touched a little bit on this idea of, you know, you're looking at behavioral health. You're, you're looking at other integrations. Like what are the next big things you and the team are thinking about right now? Yeah. So I think it has, um, you know, maybe two different vectors on this. One is, uh, you know, we're going to continue to aggressively pursue partnerships like like with with companies like yourself and ecosystem players, um, because our expansion is going to be, you know, largely through partnerships, whether it's health plan, health systems, the entire ecosystem. So really investing in those relationships, investing in the technology to allow for seamless integration, um, sitting behind other digital experience um, to provide back end, uh, whether it's with diagnostic companies, you know, any, any sort of uh, player that would want, um, you know, clinic on the back end. The, the other thing I think uh, that's important to us is, is that expansion of services. So we had a question around chronic care, right? That's certainly something to look at, um, you know, behavioral health, diagnostics and testings, wearables and monitoring, right? I mean, these are all things that, um, and, and quite frankly, and maybe ironically, is that integration with brick and mortar primary care facilities. Um, you know, the other thing that's been exposed here is, um, you know, it's a 724 nature that brick and mortar, uh, it's just incredibly expensive to serve. So we have a lot of, of um, brick and mortar facilities coming to us and saying, look, you know, when the pandemic's over, we believe our patients are going to come back to us, you know, during the day. But for spike periods, for, you know, when they can't get an appointment for after hours care, um, you know, can we, can we still do that integration? Um, and that's absolutely something that, that we're looking at doing. So I think, you know, for us, the name of the game in the future is integration with new services, integration with new partners. Um, you know, we're going to continue just to, to focus on that technology element to drive cost out of the system. Gotcha. Okay, we got another question. Uh, so he, here's a question from one of our attendees. So my company has a number of covered members with multiple problems like diabetes and high blood pressure and high cholesterol and kidney trouble. Are there certain patients that you don't want on the platform just because of how complicated they are? No. Uh, look, we believe uh, primary care is foundational, right? And and I think for people in the healthcare industry, um, certainly physicians are, are far more qualified than I am to talk about this. But the notion of primary care and the importance of it in the entire healthcare journey is is well established. So you know, even if you have chronic conditions, that ability to have access to a primary care provider um, is, is critically important for the patient's health. And again, I think for, for the whole journey. Um, so no, there, there are no patients that we don't think um, belong on the platform. And, and you've used the word access a couple of times, and I think that's critically yep. important, right? So whether that's a complicated, whether that's someone with comorbidities and whether that's a relatively healthy person, right? Yeah. You know, I like to consider myself relatively healthy. My doc might have a little bit of a different take on that, but I can tell you, I've lived in this world of concierge medicine, right? Which we know can't scale, 
right? Like it's expensive. There's still an insurance mechanism, right? They're still, they're still sending claims to the underlying health plan. Right. But I lived in this world where I went and saw my doc once a year, right? Once a year we were face to face. Other than that, 99% of our interaction was over text, right? And I was paying and still continue to pay a pretty penny for that, for that level of accessibility. When I'm sitting in a meeting and I don't feel good, I want to text my doc and say, I think I something's wrong. Right. So, I, I, go ahead. Yeah, no, that's, uh, and, and that's a very common, um, common use case, right? I mean, so it's, uh, we, we have, we have a lot of our large, uh, our largest customers, uh, employers uh, have people who, um, you know, their employees have to be in a place, in a manufacturing facility, in a retail location, in a school, uh, you know, 23%, I think it's, well, 23, I don't, percent of our, of our um, employer customers are in the healthcare industry uh, and that's growing, right? So it's, it's healthcare providers, it's hospitals themselves who want their employees um, to start with, with a, with a digital experience of 98.6. And so, you know, it's that access, it's getting to young people um, through a modality that they're comfortable with when they're young, right? Get them into, into dealing with primary care when they're when they're young, uh, is critically important um, for maintaining good health and taking cost out of the system as as they age. So um, that access is an incredibly important piece. Perfect. Okay, they're they're pounding us with questions here, Jay. So I'm going to fire suits from these. What's the typical length of a text visit? Yeah, um, it really varies, right? Um, if we're getting into you know some s- sessions where we're People just want to talk to a doctor, particularly now around stress. Those those sessions tend to last a little longer. Um, for a large percentage of what we'd consider traditional primary care, um, so UTI, right, um, basic in, infections and things like that, it's it's very quick. Um, so it could be it could be a number of you know of, uh, most of the time is is in interfacing with the bots, gathering the data. Um, and it could be, you know, as quick as as five minutes with the physician as they go in. They look at the the diagnostic, the the, the diagnosis, the AI, um, our, our, our intelligence produces. They validate it. They have a quick discussion with the patient, and it's over. Um, you, you know, the whole the whole notion of people want to have a primary care visit that lasts for an hour is flawed. Right? Um, uh, and and most of us want we have a condition, we want um, it treated, and we want to move on with our life. Okay, couple more questions. How how do you guys handle specialist referrals? Yeah, um, well, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not sure, hundred percent sure what what the question is, other than to say, um, you know, we fully integrate, for example, with systems um, where if it's a health system and they, you know, they have specialists that they obviously want staying in that health system, um, we have the intelligence in the platform that allows us to, you know, when, when this patient comes in, we attribute them to their, uh, the system or the plan they're with. And we, we have that information and technology that can then um, show up uh, and, and actually send the referral right to the patient, right? So they have options, they have choices. Um, we have all that information in the platform and it's a seamless, a seamless referral. Yeah, and I think to that question too, it's a lot about probably how our integration works with you, right? So you know right. when someone comes in, they're attributed to zero, right? If they've got Absolutely. to go see an orthopod or a CT scan, right? We're yep. delivering that easily in the care plan. A right. uh, couple more questions. Uh, so with wearables more popular and doctors having more access to data, 
Do you envision a world where you're proactively reaching out to people with wearables or are these wearable people going to be reaching out to you? And, and I have no idea how much or how little of that you actually want to answer. Uh, <laughs> so the question is, do I envision it? Absolutely. Um, are we look, are we looking at it? Absolutely. Uh, are we there yet? Um, uh, no. Uh, but, but I think, you know, it, it's, it's in the near term, right? Um, and it's not just wearables like, you know, uh, your, your watch. Um, it's, it's something along, you know, more, I think the immediate uh, opportunities in front of us are going to be more around, you know, monitoring, remote monitoring of patients with chronic care. Um, you know, I absolutely see in, see in the near term the ability for, you know, the platform, the data to come in, the platform to respond um, and proactively reach out uh, to start a session with a patient. Very cool. Okay. I think this might be our last question and then we'll, we'll wrap up. So our, our attendee asks, do you collect race and ethnic characteristics? My doc says knowledge of that can be important to have the types of meds I'm prescribed. Yeah. Um, if it's, if it's part of, if the doctor feels it's relevant, um, you know, that, that information uh, will be collected. Um, you know, is it, is it, is it a normal part of uh, the initial session, no. Uh, but I think the important, I think the important thing um, is you're dealing with a physician, right? So this is the experience with a doctor, although it's a different modality. Um, that experience with a physician is going to be the same. That same information that's relevant for a brick and mortar primary care physician is equally as relevant for our physician. Okay. Well, perfect. Hey. Jay, and everyone, let me thank you so much for the questions. Jay, I had a, I had a really fun time. I hope you enjoyed. Uh, it did. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, for everyone listening, I hope this has been useful, helpful, informative, and fun. Jay, again, thanks so much for joining us. Hit me and Jay up on LinkedIn or Twitter and let us know what's on your mind. Uh, in the meantime, take care, stay healthy, and let's get shift done. We hope you've enjoyed Flying Zero Studios on our destination to Shift Happens with Jim Milloway. Be sure to subscribe and review our podcast. And don't forget to join us for each and every episode as we accelerate the shift to the member-first economy.